help if I turn my microphone on. Sorry. You know, uh, I, I've got one of your shirts on, and it just seems really strange to wear a sport coat over your shirt. So I'm one of you guys. I'm going to take it off. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to preach in your shirt. <laughs> Feels good. Man, I love your church. Uh, the first service, the folks there were just so kind. And it was a good service, a good time. And pray the Lord speaks to us today. <clears throat> People love my vase. I commissioned this vase in September of 2009. It's called a Redento Raffinato. If you're Italian, you know that's not exactly how it's said, but I don't have that role in my voice. But that's made from broken pieces of glass, of other art that the artist tried to blow, and it fell off the end of the blowpipe, it fell on the floor and crashed into hundreds of pieces. And his son used to sweep up all of those and put them in the trash, and then when the trash was full, he had to haul them off to the dump. They thought they were absolutely worthless. They thought the, the glass had Broken pieces had no value whatsoever. And the son said to his dad, Dad, we, we've got to use those broken pieces. We're wasting too much glass. We've got to figure out a way. And Chris said to his son, said, um, Micah, you can't blow anything out of broken pieces. They're all different sizes and shapes. And when you try to put them together, there's air pockets it's just not possible. You can't do it. And air pockets and glass don't fit together. They don't work together. So he says it's impossible. Well, Micah kept sweeping up the glass. It was way too much, way too much work. And he felt strongly they could make something out of it. And so um, Micah kept after his dad. And his dad said, Micah was such a faithful son that he just gave in and said, okay, let's try to figure it out. And they worked and worked and worked and tried to figure things out, but they couldn't. And Micah, or Chris, the, the artist, said to Micah, I've got one last idea. I'm going to take some wood dowel rods when the vase is really hot, and I'm going to stick it inside the vase. And I'm going to try to smooth it out on the inside first. And so they did that. And when they started smoothing on the inside, the air pockets started leaving. And they created the Redento Raffinato. Absolutely gorgeous. And I put that in my office. And I used it at the bank to share with every first-time visitor to my office after October 5th of 2009. And over 2,000 people heard the story of redemption through my vase. Many of them would walk over to it, and they thought it was gorgeous. Others would see it and go like, what's a guy doing with a vase in his office? But I've shared the story of redemption with U.S. senators, with congressmen, with governors, with business owners, with guys that have pizza shops. I've shared it with every first-time visitor, the Cox Cable guy. 
the plant lady. It didn't matter. First time visitor, I told him the story of the Redento. And amazing things happened in my office as I shared that. People were healed. It was incredible. And uh, <clears throat> Jehuli could not figure out how to do it. He tried and tried. This vase has become the artist's number one selling art object. President Trump's got one. One of the former vice presidents of the United States has one. And they've sold them all across this nation. It's amazing. They're made right here in Oklahoma City. Well, today is all about our story. I'm having a little trouble with this. I'll stick this in my back pocket. And today I want to share my story with you. I grew up really poor. My grandmother lived right across the street from the North Fork Western Railroad Yards. And we don't have railroad yards like this in Oklahoma. This thing was really deep, really wide. And her front porch looked out on over a dozen tracks or more. And every night they would build massive coal trains and they'd bang the cars together. It sounded like an Oklahoma thunderstorm. And uh, coal would fall off the sides. And in the morning it looked like it had snowed, but it was black snow instead of white snow. And the coal cars were gone. They were on their way to Buffalo and to Syracuse and to Boston. And by the way, this guy's from near Boston. And Baltimore and New York City and Washington, D.C. And they used that coal to power their generation plants to create electricity. My grandmother would give, get a bucket in the morning and she would take me across the street and ask me to fill up the bucket. And I did. And we took it back across the street. We put it in the coal bin in her basement. And she gave me a nickel, and I went down the street and bought an ice-cold cream soda, a red one. Man, it was the best thing I'd ever tasted. I thought it was a game. I thought it was fun. But years later, when I got older, I noticed she was burning that coal in her coal-burning fireplace, the only source of heat she had in the entire house in those frigid Ohio winters. We were poor. <laughs> you think Ohio's not cold. I could show you a picture of my mother ice skating on the Ohio River. My parents saved money for 14 years after they got married for a down payment for a home. And they finally were able to buy one. I was in fourth grade when they did. And uh, they continued to be married for a whole five years. And they got a divorce. And they decided they were going to fight over the little bit of equity you could possibly have in a house in that short of time. And so they went to court. And they hauled me into court. And the judge called me up to the stand. The judge had me put my hand on the Bible, raised my right hand, 
Do you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? And I said I did. He told me to sit down in a real gruff voice. And I looked out, and over here was my mom and her attorney. And over here in the courtroom was my dad and his attorney. And each attorney got up and started asking me questions. And they were trying to get me to say something terrible about my mom. And my mom's attorney was trying to get me to say something terrible about my dad. It was, it was incredible. A 13-year-old in court being asked to testify against their mom, their dad crazy and I think back on how in the world did that guy become a judge how would he allow that in his courtroom and then I think about those attorneys and I don't want to offend any attorney in here some of my best friends in life are attorneys but I thought how did those stinking attorneys think that was okay to do that to me and then I kind of go down the line and I think what on earth were my parents thinking how could they do that to me? A 13-year-old, their son. My wife and I have six kids. We've got 17 grandkids. I can't imagine doing that to them. And I finally concluded that my parents hated each other more than they loved me. And that was devastating. That hurt, it broke me. It still does. In the first service, I actually got emotional telling this story. God says in Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in the spirit. I was crushed in the spirit. Praise God, he heals that kind of brokenness. Well, I started working at 14. Um, could have added this to your list. I started working at a grocery store. And uh, I liked working. And I hated school with a passion. Sorry, teachers. But, you know, President Bush and I, I think we're pretty close to the same age. I was the precursor to the program he started. I think he and I have a lot of things in common. You'll see in a minute, maybe, if you haven't already. And he started that program, No Kid Left Behind. Well, I, that was me. I just figured out, hey, if I endeared myself to the teachers, they'd pass me. No problem. I get passed every year. Just be kind to the teacher. You get passed. You don't have to learn anything. And it worked for me. It really did. And then, you know, when you get to high school and you're in your junior, senior year, you're supposed to take the ACT test. And so I took the ACT test. And all my friends did too. And a few weeks later, we're sitting in the cafeteria having lunch, and everybody starts talking about the scores they got on their ACT test. And some guy that plays basketball, he says, ah, I got 23. And the baseball player said, I got 19. <laughs> and, and some girl says, well, I got a 32. And then some football player says, well, 
hey, I got 29. And then this girl, it's always the girl in every crowd, she says, well, I got a 36. I'm like, you know, of course it's the girls that always get the best grades. And then I'm not saying anything. I'm just eating my lunch. And they said, well, Ross, what'd you get? And I said, I got a nine. And everybody started laughing. And the bell went off, and we had to go to class. And it was the best bell ever because I really did get a nine. It's the truth. And it was a long walk to that classroom. I got in the mail a piece of paper that said, you got a nine. You got no chance. And then I'm sitting at lunch with my friend, and no one had a score even half as low as mine. Man, it, it hurt. It was the longest walk in the world to that classroom. And I was broken. And Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Trust me, I was dismayed after that encounter in the lunchroom. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will, uh, I will help you. I will uphold you in my mighty right hand. That's our God. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter how smart we are or think we're not, God is with us. And he will take care of us. And he will heal that brokenness. Well, I met a girl that summer, and I really liked her. And I started asking her out, and she would always tell me, oh, um, I can't go out. But my youth group, they're, having, they're going to a concert. You could go with me to that. And I go, okay. I didn't know what a youth group was, but I said, I want to see her. So the next weekend, I call her, and she said, oh, the youth group's having a, a cookout. I can't go out, but you could take me to that. And the next weekend, and this just going on and on and on. Okay. And then one weekend I called her and I said, Hey, what's the youth group doing this weekend? <laughs> she says, There's, We're not doing anything. I can't see you. Unless you take me to Sunday school and to church. Sunday school? I hate school. I didn't know they had school on Sunday. Are you kidding me? I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. And I was thinking, hmm, well, I get to see her if I take her. I, okay, what time do I need to pick you up? And so I took her to Sunday school. And I walked in, and there's all the youth group and a whole bunch of other people. And they were really nice to me and made me feel welcomed. It was amazing. And it was a... I didn't like Sunday school, but I liked the kids, and I liked sitting next to Barb, so it was good. So we're going to church, and I'm thinking, man, I hope they got a balcony, just like the movie theaters. We're going to sit on the back row of the balcony. No. They all flooded to the front, everyone in that class. They filled up five or six aisles, rows off this aisle. 
I'm going like, I'm sitting up front. Are you kidding me? And these, these kids didn't have to. They just sat there. That was like that group. It was amazing. But you know what happened? About a month later, August 3rd, 1970, I walked down the aisle. I confessed my sins. I asked Jesus into my heart. And they baptized me that day. Bill, they had to pull the floor up behind the, the pulpit. They had to move the pulpit. They pulled the floor up, and there's the baptistry. Push me in. I'll tell you, it was amazing. And the pastor, the pastor took a liking to me. Couldn't believe it. And he says to me, he says, hey, I want you to preach in 33 days. I'm going to get four of you young men, and I want you to preach on church on that Sunday. It was Labor Day weekend. Duh, nobody's going to be there. It doesn't matter. And, and so no matter how bad you do, but he said, I'll help you write your sermon. I'll coach you on how to do it. And I preached my first sermon 33 days after I became a Christian. You know, there's a Bible verse, my favorite passage of Scripture, my Scripture is Jeremiah 1, 4 through 12. And it's where he, Jeremiah goes, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, I'm too young to, to do that. And he says, nah, no. Don't say that to me. I'm going to touch your lips and put my words in your mouth and send you where I want to send you, and you'll speak what I want you to speak. So there you go. And then he, he decides to take me to Cincinnati Bible Seminary. Ask your mom if I can take you there. you got to get permission. I thought we were going to go see the Reds game. I didn't know what Cincinnati Bible Seminary was. But he got me enrolled in college with a 9 on my ACT test. And he tells the registrar, I don't care what it takes, but when he leaves here, he's going to be enrolled in school. Well, she was a kind lady, and she thanked him by enrolling me on probation. And the first class she gave me was Acts. It met at 7 a.m. four days a week. I didn't, I've never seen what 7 a.m. looked like. Four days a week. And Acts? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not like Bob's daughter. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't memorize verses. There's, I, I don't have a chance of being an actor. She shakes her head, and she says, if you're going to college here, you'll take that class. It's the book of Acts, and you need it. <laughs> I didn't know about the book of Acts. Good grief. Okay. So I went to school. And by the way, I'm proud to say I stayed on probation all four years. Never got off of it. <laughs> I had to work my way through college. And I saw something up on the bulletin board about testing deodorant. And I yanked the whole thing down because I wanted to get that job so nobody else could get it. You know, I was real Christian in those days. And uh, so I go to work for Procter & Gamble being their guinea pig. And I'm going to tell you the advertising slogan. If you know what it is, what the product name is, I want you to call it out. I got a little surprise for you if you don't. You ready? Here's the advertising slogan. 
You ready? Strong enough for a man, gentle enough for a lady. Who said something over here? What did you say? I can't hear you. Yeah, but what's the product? Secret, did you say that earlier? Did you know it? When you said it, did you know it? You were the first person that spoke. Did you know it was secret? Come on. Did you? No? Somebody else, though? Who else said it? Did somebody say secret? You said it, sir? Come on, I got something for you. Autograph canister of secret deodorant. They, these... These armpits prove that formula it became the best-selling deodorant for almost 30 years. Powerful armpits and a powerful product. And um, the only thing is they perfected that formula too fast. But while they were perfecting it, I made 10 bucks an hour as a freshman in college in 1971 10 bucks an hour amazing well when i got done there i went to work for the federal reserve bank continuing to work my way through school i worked there for three and a half years and i got three promotions i man i like banking and every time you got a promotion you got a pay raise and every year you got a pay raise it was great and uh, um but I went to school four days a week. I worked six days a week. And then I had a youth ministry, too, on Saturday afternoons and Sundays. It was hard. And I was tired. And I wanted to quit all the time. You know, it didn't go well at school, like I told you. But I really excelled at work. When I got out of Bible college, I went in the ministry. I was in the ministry for about five years. We, I started a church in El Reno. We bought land. We built a building. We got up to 200 people in the church. We were baptizing in Lake El Reno constantly. Lake El Reno, it's not too good. And on the day of dedication, the guy I invited in to preach, they met with him and told him I was spending every dime. A couple months later, I was fired. I had two young kids, one in the hopper, and I wasn't spending every dime. Not true. They had opened a second account and moved funds into that account to make it look like we didn't have anything. And then I caught them because I looked on the endorsement. It was a different bank. They didn't know I'd worked at the Federal Reserve Bank. I had to work three jobs and Christmas was approaching and I got a job at Anthony's at night selling stuff and bagging it up for people for Christmas presents and the very people that fired me came in there and I made sale after sale to those people I wanted to lash out but I knew I couldn't not just because I worked there but because that wouldn't be what Jesus wanted but I I can tell you that whole experience broke me it hurt. But Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's our God. I didn't know what to do. I was working three lousy jobs, and I wasn't getting ahead. And I, uh, I, I sold my antique dining room set that my wife's mother had given us to make a house payment. And then I sold my wedding ring the next month to make a house payment. And then I remembered, hey, you don't have to be smart to be a banker. So I went back into banking. And God blessed me. And in seven years, I became the youngest president of a bank in Oklahoma at that time. Who would have figured a guy with a Bible college education could be a banker and become president of one? Unbelievable. And I, man, I felt like I was on my way. I was so excited. I was making more money. It was amazing. And everything was great. And then, boom, another divorce. My divorce. My failure. And I was broken. It was terrible. There's not a birthday that happens that you're not reminded of your divorce. Not a school play. Not a school sporting event. You're not reminded of your divorce. There's not a birth, birthday, or a birth of a grandchild that you're not reminded of your failure. Even the funeral of your mother, you're reminded of your failure. I thought I was damaged goods, I thought I was worthless. I was guilt-ridden, and I felt like one of these worthless pieces of glass that just needed to be swept up and hauled off to the dump and thrown away forever. I was hurt. I was broken. But Psalms 147.3 says, He, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up our wounds. That's what God does. That's what God does. And he did that in my life. You see, every one of us has a decision to make. We can live captive to our brokenness and let it rule and reign over our lives. Or we can decide to give it to the Lord and take his promise and let him heal us and set us free of all that pain, all that hurt, all that guilt, all that feeling of worthlessness. A lot of people don't really understand that Jesus knows your brokenness. He truly was broken. We seldom really understand that. But I want to read a few words to you from the book of Mark, the 14th chapter. These are words said about Jesus by the disciples, and these are Jesus' own words. You tell me if he's broken. It says Jesus was deeply 
distressed. It says he was troubled. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He fell to the ground under the pressure and weight of being broken. And he said, if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he reaches out to God and he says, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. He first pleads and says, let this move from me. And then he says to God, everything's possible. And if you're here and you're broken, you've prayed that prayer, right? Over and over, just like Jesus did. He said, Father, take this cup from me. Don't make me go through it, in other words. And he did that three times that night. He prayed that prayer three times that night. And I can tell you, in the midst of my brokenness, I've repeated those same kinds of prayers. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be broken. Make no mistake about that. Jesus knows. As Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus knew how I felt. He's been there. And no matter how broken you are or what way you're broken, he understands brokenness. He knows. He knows how you feel. Some of you are broken here today because of a divorce. Some of you have a drug addiction. Some of you have an alcohol addiction. Some have a gaming addiction. Some of you have a porno addiction. Some of us have legal problems. Some of us have problems with our kids. And what kid doesn't have a problem with their parents, right? Some of you are worshiping idols. Some of you are in the dark hole of loneliness. Some of you have been bullied or are being bullied. It's not just reserved for kids in school. Some of you have had an abortion or are thinking about having an abortion. He knows. Some of you have had an affair or you're trying to get into an affair. Some of you have been dumped by somebody you really love. Brokenness. It's all around. And God knows firsthand 
what it feels like. Sometimes we just rush through Scripture and we don't really just slow down to read it and listen to what's really going on and feel what's going on. Matthew the four, or Mark, the 14th chapter, does a great job of that. God let his son endure the pain of brokenness, the humiliation of brokenness firsthand. He let his son, Jesus, endure the humiliation and the brokenness so he would know. And so you could see how he transformed Jesus into our Savior. So you could see the depth and width of his love. So you could see that, yeah, you might feel like these broken pieces of glass, but when combined, they make the original look far more beautiful than what it started out to be. He remolds us and remakes us into something absolutely beautiful. And now you have a story to share with other broken people and tell them what God did for you. In just a minute, the music's going to start. And that's your opportunity to come forward. If you're broken here today and you need prayer, you need to confess your brokenness to the Lord, you need the Lord to heal you, then we invite you to come forward for a time of prayer, a time of confession to the Lord, a time for you to say, Lord, I believe these scriptures that Ross shared. I'm broken, and I need you, and I need you to heal me. I need this hurt to go away. I see that you know it. I see you know what I feel. This is a time for you to come and ask him for the healing and he can do it right here this morning so we just ask you just to stand and, and come forward come forward and confess this to the Lord and ask him to heal your brokenness we invite you to come now